Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. It's powered by DeerCast, and this is episode number 331. And we got an in-show guest today. I'm Matt Drury, you're Tim Chelsvik, and we got the mad scientist, Mark Drury. How are we doing, guys? Very excited for deer season to start. I flew in for this podcast. I'll have you know. Well, we do have that kind of cachet. I I got up at 3.30. I was going through security at 5.30 just to make it here for this podcast. Boy, you should be nice and tired by about 5 p.m. Absolutely. (laughs) And if you're just listening to the show, Mark got his hair done, especially for this episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it turned out so good I wore a hat. (laughs) So uh, this probably won't be a a long podcast, but while we never know, you never know. We wanted to just kind of touch base with you because we haven't done that in a while. First of all, as we we're getting past the 4th of July kind of yardage marker for hunters. So interest levels starting to peak. Of course, it never really stops for you and your crew up there in Iowa, which the results always speak for themselves. But Mm -hmm. we're to that point where you guys now are probably gearing up for your fall food plots. I know you've already made your plans and you've ordered your seed and you really getting close to probably putting out your cameras and all that stuff, if not already. So where are you at in the process? About what you just said. We haven't put cameras out yet, but we will this next uh, 10 days or so here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll put analogics on some and others we won't, depending on what state we're in. In Missouri, we can't because of the CWD laws, but Mm -hmm. uh, in Iowa, we can. So, um, you know, and we'll we'll take a little bit of an inventory, see who's still there. We went through a, a decent EHD die-off last year because we found a lot of a lot of deadheads in in March, and I blame EHD because I think they had it during the summer and they got weaker and weaker, and then they died sometime. Most of them died from mid-November through March 15th, based on what we found. Some mm-hmm. of them still had their antlers, some of them didn't. We had pictures of most of them through mid-November, and then they started dying. So. Uh, you could just tell that that it, it affected them. And what percentage do you think of your? I would say I had a 15 to 25 percent die-off. That's kind of crazy. I mean, we did have a pretty big drought last summer, so. Oh, it was brutal up there. I don't know if you recall how yeah, much yeah, I yeah. was complaining and crying last summer, but it was really rough on us. We were really dry. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because whenever I think of EHD, I always think of like once we hit our first hard frost, the danger is gone. But it sounds like you're saying there could be a delayed effect from EHD. Yeah, there is. There's you know the type that kills them within a few days and then there's the type that affects them and it really hurts their body systems right like they have mm-hmm. infections going on inside their system so that's why it takes a while for them to succumb to the to the virus do you so think you know you acute versus chronic you've been hit so many times over the years as as many other people have do you think that the herd has started to build an immunity towards it at all i'm sure they have i mean that's a question more for a biologist i'm told that it takes not decades, but centuries to really oh. build up an immunity to it. And I, I'm also told there's some new strains that are affecting states, even in the southeast, which has, hasn't seen it in quite a while. Mm. So I suspect we're somewhere in, in one of those centuries that it takes because I don't think they all have an immunity to it. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So in the counties where you can't put out analogics 
to focus deer on your cameras. Where are you putting your cameras so you're able to get a decent inventory? This time of year, we use a lot of pinch points, uh, gate gaps, uh, mm. heading into a water hole or coming out, or a bean field that has traffic that we've seen on certain corners. Cornfield okay. corners real, are really, really good as well. So it's just generally where we've seen movement in the past. And mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing the difference, though, between, you know, being able to put analogic supplement gold out, getting their pictures within a week, the whole herd, you know, and in Missouri, it'd take a month and a half to finally get a picture. It's, it's just yeah. crazy that the difference. I, I love the fact that a, we're helping the health component with analogics, but B, it's a great way to take an inventory. Well, one of the municipalities where I hunt just last summer outlawed mineral sites. The feeding had been outlawed for a, a long time, supplemental mm -hmm. feeding, but they outlawed uh, mineral sites. And so that took away my prime, because I'm hunting mostly timber, that took away my primary tool for makes catching it, deer makes on it really camera. tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of roaming around out there. <laughs> yeah, it's needle in a haystack yeah. kind yeah. of yeah. scenario. The trails and what are you doing? Just kind of, are there any like hub type scrapes that historic spots that they tend to travel through or yeah so there, there's there's uh there's is one big scrape that's just used all year long uh that i have a camera on there's an there's another there's this weird just at eastern cedar that i don't know how it got there or not eastern cedar uh a pine tree uh, that is just kind of in the middle of this deciduous forest. I don't, I don't know how it got planted there, but it's there. And for some reason, it's almost like the trunk of it looks like, like if you see pigs, they'll, they'll brush up against and they'll rub up against mm -hmm. a tree trunk to get like the sap off of it, of, of a, a pine tree. They've kind of done that to this. They're not rubbing up against it with their bodies, but like their antlers, I guess. But it's just this weird pine tree in the middle of a deciduous forest, and that tends to attract them. Hmm. So I got a camera up nice. there. But yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird setup. It definitely makes it tougher. Hub scrapes and water and you know pinch points and trails are your best if you do, if you can't put something out to try and attract them. Okay, so you know fast forwarding a little bit, you guys get your cameras out, you start getting your inventory. What's I know you guys will wait a, a certain period. You're not really as focused on cell cameras this time of year for inventory right. purposes. You, you put a bunch of your, you know, your just regular trail cameras out, reconics cameras out, and what, you guys put an inventory together and sit down together? How's the process we, go? We do, and we've got plans in place, and we've got provisional plans for those plans. So, in other words, we've probably got seven or eight main target deer that, A, we want to find out if they're there, B, if they are, then it's plan A. Mm -hmm. If they're not there, then it's plan B, and plan A is, is some sort of food plot architecture or or plan with a certain product for that deer for a certain time of the year, generally the early season. Plan B is, you know what, we're not going to spend as much time putting that in because there's so much effort with every food plot, and we're going to focus where our targets are. So we want to make sure that we've got deer radishes or last bite or winter bulbs and sugar beets, whatever it is, if it's an early season plan to mm -hmm. rut to late season, in, in place for those targets that are alive. Uh, or that still look good because you can also have a target deer that you get pictures of him and maybe he wasn't so healthy going into the winter and he's 15 inches smaller than he was last year. He didn't take the jump you anticipated or maybe he had an injury when he shed his mm -hmm. velvet at the pedicle and one side's weird now. So you really want to confirm before you go through all the effort to, to put that plot in if you're targeting a certain deer because we have, we have a lot to put in. I mean, it's like, like 
40 or 41 green fields to put in. Oh, so we want to make sure that we're not wasting our time on a plot that may or may not get hunted because reality is that it's myself, Wade Perry, some guests, and you've only got so many days and so many strategies to mm -hmm. unfold. So, How many acres do you think that equates to the 40-ish plots? Probably close to 40 easily. That's a lot of... It's a lot of green plots. It's a lot of green. It's a pain in the rear. Yeah. It's a lot of fertilizer. It's a lot of seed. It's a lot of time. And it's a lot of worry about, is it going to rain? Yeah. You know, because last year we did it. and Three you know, times you did it. Three times. Yeah. yeah. On most of them, we planted them three times. So we'll probably change our strategy a little bit around that. Like we're going to watch that forecast a little closer and make sure there's multiple chances of rain as opposed to just one. Mm -hmm. And I think more importantly than that is, you can't just watch the rain forecast. You also have to look at the temperatures that follow that rain forecast. Yeah. You know, if you're getting hundred. If you're, you're getting real hot, you're, you're, you're wasting your time. So yeah. we want to make sure we've got a, a good, you know, favorable forecast before we put it in the ground. Well, we we've talked about wind before, and even how that just wind effect can mm -hmm. can increase evaporation on a. Oh field. yeah, and what time of the day the rain falls? You know. <laughs> yeah. It's, so uh, many things going against. <laughs> anyone planting here lately it's it's sure been a, a dry spell for us i mean it has been dry and we've gotten a lot of rain here in the last two weeks uh for the time of year here yeah in the st yeah. louis kind of area yeah. and um it, it makes me worried that once we go to actually plant our green plots it's going to not rain <laughs> like because it's kind of a, a weird we usually don't get this much rain it, this yeah. period of yeah. time so is this the start of a wet period or did you just get your moisture yeah right? exactly yeah. I, I know some guys that have planted but um, because of that or, or got in front of it, but it's like, man, I'm not. 100 degrees coming up. <laughs> yeah, this whole week, it's a little risky. I was so tempted because I saw some of the rain in the rain stations on DeerCast Maps. I was like, ah, do I... The prediction. Yeah, yeah, do I do I try throwing some yeah. some clover down? And we sure got the rain, but I just keep remembering August. Yeah, August is always, always. so tough. Brutal. Yeah. And it's yeah. so darn hot. Yeah. Yep. Hot, it humid. Is. Yeah. So, Mark, on your non-cell cameras... How often are you checking those when you're in inventory mode? If it's on analogics, we'll check them about every two to three weeks because we're going back in there to, to replenish. Yeah. But if it's not and it's just on a scrape or a trail or, you know, just trying to get random movement, probably oh, five, six weeks. We mm -hmm. try to really minimize how much we're, we're in there. But a lot of our cameras, we put them in areas that are easy to get to and we don't penetrate very much. So most of our camera locations, a lot of our summer pictures are dark because we just haven't gone in there to where they're bedding at all. Yeah. So it's not a big deal to go check it generally. So uh, Missouri starts September 15th and then uh, Iowa starts October 1. When do you... Iowa app actually opens sooner than that for the youth and disabled season. True. So yep. it opens September 16th this year in Iowa. Okay. And that's with a muzzleloader or Will you have like, a catch a dream child in that? We do early? have a we do have a catch a dream child coming in from uh, from Mississippi. Yeah, very cool. good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 26th through the 29th if I'm not mistaken. Nice. I'm curious like when do you kind of feel like okay, it's completely hands off now until season starts, how much lead time are you giving? To where we stay out completely. Yeah. Um, you know, generally once we get the plots in, then, you know, the gates are locked and we just leave it alone, let it up to the cell cams to kind of tell us where we're going. So uh, just about, you know, early September there. Okay. Yeah. There's always something to do, though. I mean, you know, mm. last year we were in there planting again, you know, camera goes down, watering, you know. And yeah. It's, and watering is such a, 
you know, it sounds great in theory, but in practicality, it is not overly practical. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's costly, it's time consuming, and the results are just yeah. so-so. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We've, we, and at one of our leases have a couple pretty big ponds near the food plots, and we've toyed with it last year. I'm like, man, you got to be out there every day to, to do it. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, we're just going to ride or die, and we died when yeah. we didn't get the water. <laughs> it is. It, and it's... Um, you know, it shows you how dependent we are on our food plot strategy because yeah. it's so effective. We remain very dependent on it. Yeah. But, you know, it can also bite you. Yeah. It can, you know, yeah. if you don't have that food plot. So. Yeah. That's what, and we talk about that quite a bit on the podcast and, you know, trying to affect our situation a little bit more like in the off season, we frost seeded a lot more clover plots, mm-hmm. Tr- thinking spring rain, you know, what we did it pretty early and, you know, it did okay in some spots. It did great in some spots. And then in other spots, like, it's bare dirt. You know, it, yeah. it's just – so we'll have to go replant those. It's and, been, a, been a rough stretch here yeah. for, for the food plotter. You know, yeah. we lost a lot of clover fields in that drought last year. Just They just mm-hmm. didn't come back. Yeah. Look yeah. horrible. So we're, you know, forced to replant those, you know. So it, it will be an interesting first round of photos to see, A, who's alive, B, mm-hmm. what they look like, and then decide whether we're going with plan A or, or a provisional plan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have that on our list. Like Wade and I planned out all the different food plots. We took a full farm tour the other day and talked about what we're planting there, here, there, and yonder. And we have certain ones where we were like, wait and see pictures, wait and see pictures before we, you know, put go the through effort. the effort to put, mm-hmm. put these plots in yeah. instead of just point blank or, you know, a blanket effect of planting everywhere. We're going to try and minimize how many we plant makes sense so how many and going it now that you know the deer that died from ehd late mm-hmm. you know you how many what you would consider you not wade and, and and perry and everybody else but for you how many shooters across two states do you hope are gonna you know your hit listers that you think oh, should be back? four or five four or five yeah yeah, yeah. oh four or five my number one that i really felt good about it. we found him dead <sighs> so i felt like he was killable and gonna jump and you know so it's one thing to have a target it's another one to go i'm gonna kill that deer yeah. you know because they're not always a homeboy or always one that daylights on you so i felt very confident we would kill this deer but you know and, we found him dead and that story was just in we just heartbreaker the heart, deer season 23 it was kind of a heartbreaker edition right? actually all three of those deer were gonna be hit listers you yeah. know and uh found them all dead yeah you could see that on deercast <laughs> or youtube yeah yeah so. it's a bad deal yeah. it's had a lot of views that particular episode but it just goes to show you how fragile the resource is yeah and i think what we desire as hunters to give them to five and six years old it just goes against the what the the species is built for yeah. you know um, they're built for about three or four years old in my opinion and it's tough because for you guys, especially because you've done it for so long and you've kind of been to the top of the mountain, you know, as far as size of deer and maturity, it's hard. You, It's not like you're going backwards in your mind. It's not like you're going to, hey, he's a great four-year-old and he may oh, not come yeah, back. Certainly. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, you're stuck with it, right? You're yeah. stuck with a five or six-year-old, probably more six than five in a lot of cases. And Prefer, Preferably a six-year-old, which are hard to find. Yeah. But- that that's okay though too. I mean that's part of the chess match and part of the fun of the whole thing. Yeah. So it's it's, it's interesting. I had a buddy over yesterday and we were downstairs and he looked at like I've got a wall of Euro mounts and stuff. I was like I call this 
preschool because there's a lot of three-year-olds up there. <laughs> on this is I could see my entire history of killing three and four-year-olds. <laughs> yes, but you know what? If you're excited about it, it you know it really doesn't matter. It's just what excites you at that level of your development. Yeah, you know? I don't feel a bit bad about any deer I've ever shot about the age or coming up. I remember mm -hmm. we were at we were at a like a Bass Pro event or something one time here in St. Louis. And a guy came up to me, and this was, I had only been hunting for a few years after, this is when I came back from college and was, you know, started working for these guys. And had really only shot a couple bucks in, in my life, you know, a couple deer in my life. Mm -hmm. And the guy came up and he's like, yeah, we're your neighbor up there. And all those deer you've been killing, we've been passing. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> but Whoops. I'm like, like, but I'm sorry, but they looked mature to me and I was happy to shoot them. What, what are you going to do? I'm trying to go through my evolution. Solution, yeah. you know i don't know <laughs> well my first year with jury outdoors i i remember killing a buck and texting you mark right off the bat saying i just killed a buck and you're like oh man that's a great feeling congratulations i was like yeah I, he was a mature buck and when i got to him he was a busted up like at best a three-year-old but i was just so excited about it Plus yourself filming, plus the places that you hunt. I mean, it's... Yeah, it was kind of a, a miracle to see. I had never seen this deer before. He just happened to yeah. walk through. And I watched him, like, do a 180 three different times, like 200 yards away, deciding where he was... For some reason, he decided to make a beeline right to my tree. But but that, that excitement over the deer, like, it's just so... I saw a few velvet bucks out on the farm. I went down Saturday at the Bourbon property to hang some cameras and move some some uh, tree stands around. And it was so exciting just to see bucks in velvet, just to see bucks in general, but to see them in velvet. And I, I'm just so excited for deer the, season. The thing that I worry about for me personally is when we, Scott and I are out there hunting and we saw a lot of deer last year that we passed, you know, especially early on in the season. And I thought, oh, you know, we've been seeing pictures of them on camera and it's like, no, I, I wanted to see him in person. Once I saw him in person, it's like, no, I think he's four, you know, and we'd pass him. And then like, I've been watching the footage on the shows and, and you seeing it again, it's like, did we make a mistake? That's the part that I'm still learning in the field judging, mm -hmm. you know, accurate judging because I don't have necessarily the history all the time, right? Like if it's a deer, we know, you know, we had like the short G210, we know that deer, he's should be, you know, six this year, I think based on when we first saw him two years ago. But outside of that, when we don't know a deer, I still struggle a little bit in looking at, you know, we're looking over all the features and trying to make a judgment, not just on rack, but features. That's tough. Plus, time of the year can affect what they look like, yeah. too. Like, if you see sure. September 20th versus November 20th yeah. versus December 20th, yeah. big difference in look, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. or how they're postured when they come through can change what yeah. age you think they are, you know, if they're bird up or something like that. So, it, it really takes a few sightings and lots <laughs> of pictures to make a a, a semi-informed decision about i'm pretty sure this one's four and a half you and know that's the it's hard to do in the moment it is yeah. and and what we've noticed is our moments are pretty quick <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's a fleeting we, it is yeah. it's just they're not going out and hanging out very much if you see them it's almost a miracle and this especially this one farm and they, they're not overly comfortable because of a lot of you know, interference, I guess, human interference on the property. And so it's, it's like, you got to make a quick call 
and it's still learning a little bit of a learning process. Well, and, and summer deer are so slender. Yeah. And and to me, it makes it it makes their racks look more impressive than maybe they are once they fill out like they'll normally be in the in the fall. Trail camera pictures this time of year. You know, we'll we'll group text and stuff talking and it's like oh how old do you think this deer is like don't ask me man because they all look skinny their summer coats are so thin like their necks all look skinny unless it's a really big mature deer or you know them they look like january or december and they're just really really skinny you know and they all look the same age frankly it's tough to differentiate but there are little factors that you can make a difference is you know the head length the head size the broadness of the head those are the things i generally look for in the summer nose i guess you know nose yeah, yeah and then their belly yeah. but the belly's not That's nearly as telling part. as their head to me i always look at their head N- neck to me this time of year neck and belly are very deceiving mm-hmm. like all the necks almost seem skinny <laughs> and long mm-hmm. i don't know they do so. yeah i always look at their head and i like looking at them at dark or during the night to see how wide their eyes are that sometimes can tell you an older deer versus a young deer too. That big broad head with their eyes wide apart in an in an IR photo, you, you tell a lot easier. Gotcha. And the mass at the base, that's yeah. generally a, a decent indicator. Yeah. Spread credit is somewhat of an, of an indicator, although not everything. But if, they, they could fool you because their body, it's a perspective between rack and body. You know, I've seen big rack three-year-olds look much more impressive than an average racked six-year-old yeah. just because the six-year-old's got a huge body and the three-year-old's got a small body. Mm-hmm. So yeah. well, That's happened to us quite a bit where you, all summer and then into this you know, fall, you're like, oh, I think this is a shooter. And then you see him for the first time, like, eh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's our guy. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and that happens too. Sometimes you – Tom Moore said it best in one of our Bow Madness shows years ago. He said, let your heart be the determining factor because uh-huh. it'll never it'll – never let you down you know beautiful it always tells you whether you're looking at a shooter or not and he's right you know if the deer doesn't excite you probably not a shooter for you yeah if you're (laughs) hemming and hawing about it (laughs) there's probably a good chance you should just yeah off (laughs) no doubt yeah yeah you hate to regret a deer now sometimes like in the rut you i've you know you can make a mistake when in the heat of the moment if you're in the timber and they run up on you and and if you don't know the deer i mean if you know the deer you know it helps with those decisions but sometimes it's a uh, a real quick instant like grab your bow and you got to decide mm-hmm. and uh, those sometimes can bite you <laughs> that's why turkey hunting so fun all you got to do is pass the jakes yeah everything yes. else is the same age yes. that's right yeah <laughs> they all look exactly the same that's right yeah it, it, it's it's a little concerning to me because i hear some of the the, t- the like the whitetail scoring talk creeping into the turkey hunting world talking about see that oh, taking uh, hold though i really hope some it people do do look at it most most do not yeah. your serious turkey hunters none do generally don't you know yeah. that's not, not the guys i know <laughs> that sounds like a uh like a new age new wave <laughs> kind of bs could be mm-hmm. so could be, yeah, but a, a goblin turkey's a goblin turkey. Yeah, 100%. Can't beat him. Well, do we want to get into some of the stuff you have on these sheets? <laughs> our, our buddy James uh, Fitterling gave us this, re- this week's Real Wild Clip. It's sponsored by Silencer Central. And this is kind of a cool, you know, we're seeing a lot of young deer right now with their mamas. And this was a neat find that James had. He's walking up to a barn. You got the double doors open there on the, the barn. The barns are always a safe haven for some reason for deer this yeah. time of year. And he's it's, so we're walking. This is the first person view walking into the barn. See the, got hay, the hay. hay rack there. Yeah. 
Some hay on the floor. Looks He's like it's stacked a little. Pan to the right and <laughs> oh, wow. dog two on. little That's baby, awesome. two little fawns just laying in the hay there. Almost like that. cattle. Aww. <laughs> That's crazy. Talk about a perfect spot for him. Yeah. Oh, it is. Cozy, safe. This one looks like it'd even be a butt buck. See how blocky its head is compared yeah. to the one in the back? We should get Perry on here to see if he could make Perry a determination. <laughs> Tell us if it's Perry Button. Did you bring that up in his oh, podcast? Yeah. A little bit. Every time. <laughs> Call them parents. Parents Button the third. Yeah, that's a cool clip. Poor guy comes to work, shoots three, three buttons the first <laughs> year, sticks with him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an awesome clip. That is neat. So, yeah, thanks, James, for sending that in. Buddy. I'm sure Big James time. backed out and didn't uh, didn't mess with him from there, though. Yeah, yeah, James James is uh, knows he, better. He, he's a woodsman. Yeah, he knows that that doe's coming back for those fawns. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. Pretty That's young. a really cool clip. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Real wild clip of the week. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's help our buddy Brandon. All right, so the question of the day is proudly presented by Sportsman's Channel. Your home for Winchester and Drury's natural born and everything red, wild, and blue. And he. He texted, he sent this in to us via the rack pack. Oh, over on Facebook. Okay. Yep. So he's saying, I'm thinking about switching to a thumb release this year. Any suggestion suggestions on specific releases? I am not your guy on a thumb release. Timmy T so T Bone I, over there, what you got? <laughs> I'm always curious whenever someone says that, I'm always curious why. Like what's driving that decision? Is it to is it to improve your shooting is it you just you, like you're wanting to modernize like what what's really behind it well Be i i always feel like there's a pressure out there like the pros the the big timers are shooting thumb release the and, big boys and it's just like i don't understand it because every time i've tried it made me much worse <laughs> but i'm not a great shooter to begin <laughs> sure, with sure so um so i i will say right off the bat you can still experience target panic with a thumb release. Some people think that, that it, it, it cures that, that that's a mental issue. So, so if you're, if you're looking at a thumb release to cure target panic, that's probably not going to do it. In my experience, it helps a little bit. It's a little harder to punch. Cause you're surprising, right? You're, you're, is that how it works? You're supposed so you're pulling back and it surprises you. You're supposed to, but guys will still use their thumb to actuate. And it's just a different kind of trigger at that point. Um, I, I have shot and I really like the true fire edge Four. it's a four finger, uh, uh, handheld it's, it's got a good weight to it and you can change the sensitivity on it. And it's like, there are some very light handheld releases, especially late season. I like to know that it's there. It feels solid. It's got a clean break. So, so I, I really like the true fire edge Four. I know both you and Terry are caliper, you know, trigger release guys. Is have you ever toyed around with any of the other kinds? I've or? never shot a, a thumb release. Yeah. I've always shot a caliper and, you know, shoot it well enough for my liking. Yeah. So never really wanted to change. I know some fantastic shooters that shoot a thumb release. You take like a guy like Jeff Probst. I mean, that's what he shoots and he's, he's as fine a shot as you're going to find, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I, but I'm, I've always shot a caliper. That's what I grew up shooting. So to me, it's one of those things where if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're shooting fine and you're killing deer, it's the way I look at it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's what you're used to because one thing's for sure in the moment of truth, like you better know what's going to happen because everything goes scatterbrained during the moment of truth because of adrenaline. So, you know, if you're considering switching releases, you better pound the target this summer to make sure that when the moment of truth occur or arises mm -hmm. or arrives, 
your muscle memory is there. Yeah. You know, and for me, that muscle memory is that. That's what it's always been. Well, one of the things I really like about the, the True Fire is it's got kind of a, a, a loop attachment. So when you clip it onto your D loop, it just stays there. So that's not the one that with the safe buck, that's not that release that fell? Well, <laughs> it is. Okay. <laughs> but I actuated that somehow. I, I would still like to know how I did that with my elbow. <laughs> but every now and again, yeah, you run into a situation where it doesn't work out in your favor. But normally it just it hangs on my bowstring, so I just reach up and grab it and pull. I don't like I, I, I know like I used to shoot uh, one of the true fires that folded back, so you could still yeah. use your hands, but but having to hook on in the moment like that was one more thing that i didn't always i didn't like to have to do so with this shaking trying to hook into the deal just just looking down while you're yeah. also trying to maintain eye contact and i that I personally it's almost like a security blanket i like having that wrist release and and the fold back i like having it on even walking in because it's i do too i don't know why but it just in case just in case and then it's always there you, you always got it, right? Mm -hmm. I, there's never a time I'm taking it off unless, like, I'm putting – once I get into the blind or something, I'm putting a glove on and need to readjust. Sure. But I, I don't know. It's it's like a security it's, blanket at this well, point. Well, it's part of you at that point, yeah. right? You know, it's just part of you. Almost like part of that muscle memory that you're talking mm -hmm. about. It's part of the step, right? It's part of the confidence, is, yeah. you know, well, which well, is a lot with shooting. It's confidence. Huge. yeah. One of the one of the challenges with making that transition huge. to a thumb release is it seems like – Part of the there's a rite of passage of punching yourself in the face <laughs> with it. In, <laughs> I, what yes. was the release that True Fire I tested out the the through fire the through fire <laughs> I lost so many arrows <laughs> like I could not get <laughs> I couldn't get it down just how you were supposed to do it like once I got back I felt like okay because you're just supposed to keep pulling back and then it just kind of releases. Well, like, Tim's does. like, there's no way you can't shoot this thing. Ever anybody could, and I'm like, sure enough, I lost several arrows. <laughs> I have a, an empty quiver to prove you wrong, Tim. <laughs> well, uh, back in the day when I was making the transition, I was using a different brand of handheld, and it failed on me. So when I, I got up into my climber, and I I like to draw at least one time just to kind of work out the kinks and make sure I'm I'm good and everything looks okay. It failed mid draw. And I punched myself in the chin and and rocked backwards and almost fell, I almost had to use my safety harness. It was spooky. The only other thing that's worse than that is if your D loop breaks when you're pulling oh. back. Have you ever had that happen? I have not. I, I, have. I look at mine all the time and I reinforce it if need be, but I'm scared of it happening, but it has not. We were over for dream season, the journey, the first year we were over at Hadley. So, you know, Joe Schultz and Coon Dog and all the Lindsay's, all those guys were over there and we were all shooting, just practicing. Cause I was also hunting over there. And first night I were, I draw back, you know, practicing and i mean i about knocked myself out it broke on the drawback and i about knocked myself out it hurt so bad you start to realize how much force is behind oh. a draw when you do that it it, it water I, you know your <laughs> eyes are watering format luckily joe's a bow guy you know he's a, a art you know a, a shop there a bow yeah, yeah. shop and all that stuff and so he fixed the d loop right back up for me but i was i have definitely looked at it every time since <laughs> yep makes you think twice once bitten yeah so all right well brandon thank you for the question reach out to us via the rack pack uh shoot me a message and we'll get you a podcast hat for the question the wildlife word is 
brought to you by Hunter Specialties, purpose-driven tools for serious hunters. Okay, we're in the heat of summer. So no matter how hot it gets, a white-tailed deer cannot do this. Is it A, pant, B, sleep, C, blink, or D, sweat? Well, we just saw that fawn panting, I felt like. (laughs) That one can't be it. Well, to me, they can pant, they can sleep, they can blink, but I, I, I would say, based on process of elimination, I would guess D, sweat. D. D. D is correct. Yep. You're so smart. You'll never find a sweaty deer. You'll find a sweaty hunter, but never a sweaty That's deer. That's probably why they just kind of hang out in the summertime and they got the summer coat. They just they got not much of a good way to, I guess, cool off. Yep, yep. Kind of like a dog that way. Dogs can't sweat. All right, what's next, right. T-Bone? We got a shout-out. Our shout-out uh, comes from uh, one, of our, one of our newest Rack Pack members. He said, uh, n- number one, the soundboard. Number two, I like that they're just having fun. They don't make it a job. Third, as a truck driver, it helps me get through some of these long nights. Keep up the good work, man. Hopefully, we, get, we just become best friends. Got him! Scott! <laughs> Okay, so I guess he's wanting here. Scott! There you go. And he says, you're, and you're both handsome. Oh. Referring to Matt and myself. Yeah. Well, I think you can throw Mark in there, too. But y'all don't say that. I thought he was going to say, it helps me get to sleep at night. <laughs> I'm sure we've got some listeners that do that also. It's like turning on NPR. Like, well, I feel drowsy all of a sudden. What's this guy's deal? Did uh, we just become best friends? Yep. I was struggling to find it. Yeah, eventually you got there. That's what she said. <laughs> All right. Got so, some new Rackback members. So last but not least, I said it was going to be a short episode, and that's because hopefully we're going to be able to shoot another podcast today, maybe two, but Terry's coming in. We got a big in-office meeting here in the studio today. And uh, we're going to try to shoot a podcast with both Mark and Terry at the same time, go down memory lane a little bit. We've mm-hmm. been requested quite a bit for that that podcast specifically. Finally going to happen. Yeah. And if we have time, which we may not, we'd like to do one with Forrest, Wade, and Perry on set at the same time. Got to make that one happen. Yeah. Oof. We Mark wants to split Wade and Perry Put up. Forrest between the two bullies. <laughs> Should we give them immunity before we start the show? Uh, yeah, sure. It doesn't mean they'll get it. <laughs> Anything like you say, Russia. can or will be held against you. I hope they're loose enough to actually say the things they do in our group text, you know, because they, they pound on each other pretty good, but I have a feeling they'll be model citizens here. Yeah. P- yeah. Perry loosened up a little bit last on, when he was on the episode last episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah we had a good time. Yeah. All right, so we got some new Rack Pack members. Uh, Rack Pack over on Facebook. It's a private group for people that listen, watch Very the show. Private. <laughs> Very private. And uh, it's a pretty good time over there. So we got some new members. We got Dan Slater. Oh, and every week, Tim puts a fake name in here. And I think I just found it. Oh. Gobbler Hunter Hess. Mm. That can't be it. Mm. Darren Hogan. Ugh. Is that the Darren Hogan that I Could, wonder? I would assume it is. So Darren's a sandwich a, inventor? No, a no. longtime friend of Drury Outdoors, of Mark's. You have a little history with him dating yep. back to the Bass Pro days, right? Yeah, he's still there at Bass Pro. I would assume it's that Darren. Yeah. Be my guess. The Darren. 
I would assume it's Darren. Yeah. He's helped us tremendously over the years. Yeah, he's a huge dear partner. ally and friend. Well, now he's a Rack Pack member. So there's where. Screwed. So, well, he's the he's the lead buyer for most of the hunting categories for Bass Pro and Cabela's now. He you know? probably wow. doesn't want that out there. I, I first, <laughs> I don't think Darren minds that. But I, when I first met Darren, it was 1989. I was walking into Bass Pro for the first time. I went in. I was selling moss yolk, so I go in with all my samples. I meet with the clothing buyer. I was literally mortified and. I got my teeth kicked in that day because I was so bad at what I was doing. And I left there and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over to the retail side because that, back then the Buy buying something. offices were right next to the main store. Okay. So I go into the, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the archery counter, you know, and check out the bows and everything, you know. And Darren was the archery tech that yeah. day. And we stood there and talked for probably an hour and uh, have just remained friends. I would always make it a point then to go see Darren when I was in town. And he has worked his way up through the ranks and is now one of the top guys there That's at Bass cool. Pro. So we, we're very, very close friends and have been since 1989. Nice. Yep. Yep. And his brother, Brad, actually was one of my first callers at MAD. Oh, really? One oh, of the first competitive geez. callers, Brad Hogan. We, we, we just lost Brad this, this past year. Mm. So um, stories go way back. Talk about the memory <laughs> lane. I mean, yeah. Long, I, I long history with our friends down there at Bass Pro. Yeah, I hope we get to do that podcast with Terry because that'll be fun to go back through some of that history. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. All right, so we got Drew Simon, Eric Burleson, Marcus Sakura. Sakura? Sakura? Sounds sketchy. Sakura, Sakura. <laughs> I wonder if he's related to Steve Sakura. Maybe. Steve's a longtime um, St. Louis Longbeards member and oh, a good nice. friend of mine and Terry's in Stoltz's. I wonder if Marcus... By chance is related to Steve. Maybe what if so? Mark knows everybody on this list? <laughs> How about the next one, Mark? <laughs> well, John Bolt. Oh, we do know John. Yeah, well, John's also a longtime friend. He used to be the buyer at Gander Mountain, and ended up going to Bass Pro. <laughs> is this list fake or real, Tim? <laughs> Did Mark never... come up? Well, so part of the connection here may be so Angie went in and oh. he invited a bunch of oh, that's his why. Friends. That's why. That's why. Yeah. We got Daryl liked licked. Uh. No <laughs> doubt. Make fun of someone's name. You don't know Daryl licked. <laughs> Daryl licked. Ah, oh, nice. The fake name this week. Daryl licked. <laughs> so gobbler Hunter Hess is real. It's my real God. Two hundred dollars is two hundred dollars. All right. We got Derek Daniels and we got Jeff Hartling. Yeah. So Ingi, right. he, he, we're in a text uh, chain. Tim. Ingy and myself, and we just had him on a couple weeks ago. And so when it came out, he sent it to a bunch of his friends, and he's like, <laughs> uh, he's like, I, he goes, it must not have been terrible because nobody made fun of me too much. And I was like, that should be the litmus test for all of them. Did we get made <laughs> no fun of? No news is good news. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. I left a comment in DeerCast about it. I said, his photos I remind me of early Joe's work. And I said to him. And then Terry said the same thing. Did he? Yeah, oh yeah, you gotta go back. Terry's like, oh yes, brother, I agree. Very much like the best, you know, in the industry, Lee Jost or something. Yeah. <laughs> Did what Inky say to that? He goes, I really missed you. <laughs> the backhanded jury compliment. Yeah. It was a good time. He's, oh, he's yeah. a funny guy. So yeah. Yeah, we had a blast. Well, all right. Well, in, in closing, anything else, Mark? No. Uh, it's that time of the year. Pray for rain. We need it. 
That's right. All over the country, we need it. Yeah. And, I'm tired of these dry stretches, man. It's been brutal. This would be a good time if you haven't already upgrade your DeerCast to Elite Plus or Unlimited so you get maps and you get the rain stations so you can time that rain out a little it bit. It is handy, I will say that. And we've improved kind of the, the rain station picker, and, and we're still making some improvements as we go. That's yep. the, the neat part about the app. We just continue it's to improve a, it's it. It's incredibly handy and so much more accurate than any of the other ones out there. That's the th thing that I love about yeah. rain stations. Is I have other apps that tell you how much it rained, and they're not even close compared to Rain Station. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. some new features in there, like you can share any map asset now, not just waypoints, but also Rain Stations, Food plots, plots, areas, areas path yeah. tracks, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah, some, really nice. some, some cool stuff coming in there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you jumping in, flying in this morning. <laughs> My <laughs> pleasure. For Thanks for having me. Wow. It's going to be a fun day. It's all cotton. All right. Well, until next time, peace out. See you. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind checkout to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.